This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Today's story is about the rise and fall of Burger Records and what the music industry can do to prevent sexual assault in the future. So Burger Records was a garage rock record label in Orange County, California, that built its brand on bringing rock and roll to teens and putting the spotlight on underground bands. In July, it became the first label to completely fold because of sexual assault and misconduct allegations. Those allegations involved members of more than a dozen bands on the label. In warning... The content in the story covers issues of sexual abuse and pedophilia. If you didn't catch it, the lyrics are, What makes all the boppers drool? What makes the ladies think you're cool? This is Burger Records' theme song for its TV show. Burger Records wasn't just a label. It was a record store. It put on concerts and festivals. It had a TV and radio show. It was everywhere. Burger Records had a slogan that said it was a borderline cultish propaganda spreading group of suburban permatine mutants. In other words, there weren't really any adults in charge. There were no rules. We could do whatever we wanted. That's Kennedy Wright. She was 16 when she first started going to Burger Record shows. Me and my teenage friends had the all-access pass. Like, we wanted to be around. We were, like, the ultimate accessory, the ultimate prop. She and her friends were part of the so-called borderline cultish following, which was mostly made up of teenage girls who fawned over Burger Records bands. We were wearing, like, the American Apparel tennis skirts with, like, baseball tees and, like, knee-high socks and vans. Like, we were, like... The teenage burger girl. Fans wore pins that said, I'm a burger girl, and trucker hats that said, I'm a burger babe. One cassette Burger sold declared, you'll never be as cute as a teenage girl. Burger Records built a scene that catered to high schoolers who were more edgy and alternative that didn't fit in with a preppy crowd. The problem was, some of the bands these teens were fangirling over were made up of guys in their 20s and 30s who never really grew up. Here's one Burger Records band, The Growlers, who sang about enjoying little girls while you can. Little girls don't last forever, enjoy them while you can. They're made for little boys, and soon you'll be a man. Little girls don't last forever, enjoy them while you can. Burger Records held all-ages concerts a few nights a week out of their record store in Fullerton, California, and hosted festivals at the Observatory in Santa Ana is one of the only outlets in Orange County where teens could see live music. All ages meant those under 21 were welcome, and at burger shows, drugs and alcohol were also present. I had been battling with addiction for a long time, and like being a part of this burger scene where everyone else seemed to be an alcoholic and struggling with mental health issues made it feel like a sense of community. For Kennedy, the scene at Burger made her feel welcomed, like she wouldn't be judged for partying underage. No one was shy to offer drugs and alcohol to me and my teenage best friend. You would see teenagers just talking to these these guys in bands right outside their vans, right outside the venue, sometimes being taken into the vans. I remember being 16 years old on ecstasy in the back of Pangea's parked van outside of this like abandoned gym warehouse in Santa Ana that they were playing a show in. The goal was to get backstage because that's where all the like all your friends were and that's where like the alcohol and the like drugs were. There was always someone to buy us alcohol. 
There was always a different older guy for us to hook up with. It just felt like not a matter of if, but where and when. This was garage rock in the Orange County suburbs. Here's Jennifer Calvin of the burger-affiliated band Bleached. I feel like everyone was trying to relive these, like, famous, like, rock and roll scenes out of these classic movies that none of us actually were alive for. And so, like, what we picked up from those, like, scenes, at least for me personally, was, like, the partying and the drinking and the sex and, like, what ended up happening is a lot of men took advantage of that and just started using women as their like their accessory the way you would see it in these classic rock and roll movies like there's always like the scene with the groupies and like female groupies are a big part of these classic rock and roll movies that rock and roll nostalgia meant some women and teenage girls paid the price of entry John Borman and Lee Rickard were best friends and bandmates. They co-founded Burger Records in 2007 when Sean was 25 and Lee was just 23 years old. Their band, The Makeout Party, that we're hearing now, was the first release on the label. Sean said he put everything he had into Burger Records. He worked 16-hour days, never had any money, and lived in the back of the record store. There was no shower. I would shower once a week whenever I can. I would wash my hair, and there was a faucet in the alley in the back that you'd have to put your head down and uh, wash your hair in there. Over the course of 13 years, Burger Records worked with 1,200 bands. That's a lot. That's an average of nearly two new bands every single week, for over a decade. That's pretty much unheard of. Burger Records released vinyl and CDs, but mostly cassette tapes of existing albums. The cassettes are what made Burger Records so prolific. Their artists ranged from the band who made music from their bedroom to making a cassette version of a side project by Ryan Adams, who, if you remember, was called out for sexual abuse and misconduct by multiple women in the music industry in 2019. But when it came to working with bands... Sean said he had two qualifications. My criteria for choosing bands is you're either really good or you're really weird. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new realm. A realm where purple magic is used by only the most skilled alchemists. The ones who have been around for thousands of years in order to master it. The Wizards. Bands never got signed to Burger Records. There were no contracts, no rules for what you could or couldn't do. You could take your record and run if you'd like. Sean didn't like the hassle of lawyers. Kennedy Wright, the teen fan we heard from earlier, eventually started playing Burger Record shows and festivals with her band, Cowboy Social. definitely feel like Burger, in terms of getting DIY artists started, were revolutionaries. I mean, they did 
for these bands what no one else was willing to do. I mean, bands that just got started in their garage and like recorded on their laptops and garage band were like going on, you know, tours throughout the nation, which was incredible. And it made everyone feel like they could do it. And so everyone did do it. You could become a rock star with Burger Records. But Kennedy says the label's come one, come all mentality also meant some bad players were invited in. When you're including everyone, you're giving a lot of room for all behaviors to be allowed in. And so that's something you have to be really careful about. And I don't think Berger was. Kennedy says she faced sexual abuse and misconduct by multiple men associated with Burger Records. But there's one man in particular who dragged her along for five years and broke her heart. It was Zoe Lambert, the front man of the band No Parents, who did not respond to her request for an interview. Kennedy met Zoe at a No Parent show when she was 16. He was like so immediately, obviously, overtly attracted to me and then proceeded to pursue me via Instagram. He'd comment on her attractiveness and photos she posted of herself. They were on photos of me when I was like a senior in high school and he was like a 23 year old playing in this band with this platform and all these cool like sophisticated artists. They kept in touch, and when Kennedy was 17, Zoe put her on the guest list for the sold-out 2015 Burgerama Music Festival in Santa Ana. By this time, Burger Records wasn't just an underground scene putting on shows out of its record store in a strip mall. It had a massive following. The New York Times had just done a feature story on the label, calling it an around-the-clock freak lab. Weezer headlined Burgerama that year. 85 bands played the festival, most of which were affiliated with Burger. No parents kicked off Burgerama on the main stage. My grandma thinks I'm another man. A video from that performance shows Zoe on stage sporting greasy, grown-out, dyed blonde hair. And the only thing he's wearing are shoes and gray, saggy boxer briefs. He dances around on stage, exposing his soft white belly occasionally dipping his hand underneath his underwear to grab himself. So he met up with Kennedy after a set to watch the band that opened up for the headliner that night. I was with my friend who was also 17, and we just felt like we were getting like the ultimate treatment, and like we felt like they thought we were so cool, and we were like in the crowd and then he just like grabbed me and started making out with me and I was like okay this is happening and then it happened intermittently throughout the entire day in front of all of these people in the burger scene who knew about me who knew how old I was who knew I was driving up in my friend's car who had just gotten a driver's license I'm pretty sure I still had like my learner's permit or something and it's just like it went on for so long this was just the beginning of it. They ended up having a secret online relationship over Snapchat that lasted years. They'd send graphic sexual texts and photos back and forth. By this point, Kennedy was into him. She'd share her daydreams of their future, but also console him when he was going through a breakup or a rough patch in a relationship. She knew he was seeing other people. 
They eventually had sex when Kennedy was 19. But their relationship was never official. And when Kennedy would see Zoe at a show, he would ignore her. Seeing Zoe there and acting like nothing happened and just being gaslighted so heavily that I thought I was making the entire thing up in my head for almost five years. She eventually wrote a song about it with her band, Cowboy Social, called Don't Text Me, a song she played on stage at a burger record show while on the same bill as No Parents. There was just like years worth of like sexual Snapchatting and like unsolicited dick pics and like him telling me that he loved me when he was in a relationship with Jen. She's talking about Jennifer Calvin, who we heard from earlier. She's the one that was talking about Burger Records rock and roll nostalgia. Her band Bleached played about a dozen Burger Records festivals and shows. All the cities that we Leash took no parents under their wing in 2016 and took them on tour. Jen dated Zoe for about a year after that tour. She's actually seven years older than Zoe, but when they were together, she'd get these feelings like he was cheating on her. Then one day... When I finally, like, this wasn't my proudest moment, logged onto his Instagram because I felt like there was something going on and saw a lot of messages to fan his fans... Like, I didn't question their age. Like, it wasn't until now, like, I'm seeing how young these girls were. She said when she opened his Instagram, she saw messages of him asking girls to fly to L.A. to be with him. Turns out Kennedy wasn't the only one Zoe started messaging when she was underage. She was just part of a pattern of predatory behavior. When I came out about my experience with Zoe, two dozen plus women came to me with their experiences. Back in July, Kennedy and Jen shared their stories about Zoe on their Instagram pages. When they did, multiple women responded in their direct messages, telling them they had been used and manipulated by Zoe. Many said they were teens when Zoe started pursuing them. Kennedy and Jen came forward on social media after they saw a wave of accusations against men across Southern California's indie rock scene. A lot of the accused men had ties to Burger Records. The popular band Cherry Glazer, which got its start on Burger Records, created a tipping point for this online movement of accusations. On July 15th, lead singer Clementine Creevy posted on her Instagram that she was statutory raped by her former bassist. They allegedly started dating when he was 20 and she was 14. Once the Cherry Glazer story was out, the accusations against Burger-affiliated bands mounted. So much so that one woman started compiling them all in one place on an Instagram account. It's called Lured by Burger Records. I was on the page 18 hours a day for about a week. I couldn't stop because the messages were coming in. I felt a great sense of responsibility. Casey Red grew up going to Burger Records shows. At first, it gave her a sense of belonging. The community that was established was enticing. Most of the time, I was alone in my room, extremely depressed. I had a really hard time in high school. So knowing that I could, you know, get dropped off during a weekend and go to a show, I I mean, I would usually go by myself to these shows. It wasn't long before she was taken advantage of. 
She says she was statutory raped seven years ago by Phil Selena of the burger band A Love Cop, who did not respond to an interview request. He was 29. I was 17. He knew that. It happened in the back of Casey's car after she picked him up in the corner of the burger record store parking lot. And it was the first time I had ever driven on a freeway by myself. I just started driving. I was in high school. Once the Lured by Burger Records account was up and running, other stories of sexual abuse started flooding into Casey's direct messages. Like the Zoe situation, it wasn't just one story against one member of a band. There were multiple accusations towards the same men, documenting predatory behavior for years. These accusations involved more than a dozen bands on the label. Many stories involved older men pursuing underage girls. The accusations also involved Lee Rickard, the co-owner who opened Burger Records with Sean, who you heard from earlier. And this was happening in plain sight. In a 2013 Vice interview, the reporter actually joked with Lee about him having sex the night before with a gal who looked like she could have been underage. Lee would not be interviewed for this story, but Sean still stands behind his best friend and former business partner. Maybe Lee is inappropriate. He says the wrong thing sometimes, and he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everybody has done stupid shit. But I know him as a person, and I know that he he's a kind and gentle soul. Sean denies being an enabler of the abusive behavior. He says it's unrealistic to keep track of the personal lives of the label's 1,200 bands. You know, when bands go on tour and do terrible stuff, I don't know how I'm supposed to police that. He also says he was so busy keeping up on the business side of the label that he never saw the abuse firsthand. When I find a band I really like, do I have to tell the, do I have to ask, you know, have you raped anybody or have you done this or that? And then have to follow up on that and get the full story. That that sounds like a nightmare. And that's not why I got into music. Even if he didn't know what was going on backstage or in Vans or in Vans' personal lives, Kennedy says there were things said and done on stage that looking back were questionable for a teen audience. Basically, Zoe was naked all the time, even at underage shows. Um, yeah, it was part of his gimmick. Then there were no parents' lyrics. The music was very vulgar. No Parents was one of my favorite bands, which made Zoe so appealing. Their lyrics to their first breakout hit, Chicks in L.A., discussed fucking in an in-and-out bathroom. No condom, animal style. Just really gross shit that me and my 16, 17, 18 year old best friend were singing at the top of our lungs. Like, what? <laughs> That's really weird. Um, he also went on to write a song called Run Away, where the lyrics were 17, that's way too young, she's got braces on her tongue. And I was just, I remember hearing the song, like, is this about me? Those types of lyrics made Zoe's ex, Jen, uncomfortable when they were dating. But there was something underneath that, like, bothered me about those lyrics. So that's why we would have, like, talks and, like, you know, Zoe would say, like, oh, it's just a character of play. Red Hot Chili Peppers play with socks on their dicks in front of tons, millions of people, right? That's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
When I'm listening to Gigi Allen. That's an 80s punk rocker who would play on stage naked and whose act also involved blood and fecal matter. And he says, I'm infected with AIDS. I fuck every day. I kill everything I fuck. I don't think that he's actually going out there and doing that. And that's not even close to anything that any of our bands were saying. Rock and roll is gross sometimes and stupid. And if that's too much, then you don't know the history of rock and roll. Now, Sean didn't dismiss everything with the excuse of rock and roll. He did try to save the label after the wave of stories of abuse and inappropriateness came to light in July. Sean first dropped what he estimated to be about 20 bands from the label and had to fire his co-owner Lee because Burger Records had a zero-tolerance policy, which means if you are accused, you are out. No questions asked. Sean then hired a woman named Jessa Zappor Gray to revamp the label, to turn it into a label that promoted female empowerment. They also wanted to start an all-female arm of the label and call it Burgirl. That's B-R-G-R-R-R-L like the feminist punk rock Riot Girl movement in the 90s. The label also pledged to pay for counseling for those who suffered, to provide a dedicated safe space at future burger shows. As Sean says, It may not be perfect, but it's something we can start with. But by this point, there was so much damage that had been done. Casey of the Lured by Burger Records Instagram page was actually on the phone with Sean and the new interim president, Jessa, when they were trying to come up with what the label could do next, which was not easy for her. I was on the phone for two hours. I had a PTSD attack. I was shaking, crying. There was too much history and lack of trust. I was basically berating him, asking, like, how could you have not known? Like, you were living in the shop. In the end, Casey couldn't get on board with the plan. Plus, Jessa and Burger Records were getting attacked online. So Sean shut the label down for good on July 22nd. For me, closing the label down was like, okay, I'm, I don't want to deal with these people anymore because they're insane and they're online. And there's nothing you can say to quell their thirst for blood. Casey said it wasn't her intention to take down the label. She believes the accused should be held accountable. I don't want people to be canceled into oblivion. A lot of the times what happens in these scenes is somebody gets called out and then everybody berates them and then they move to another city. (laughs) That is, I have seen that happen so many times. And then it's done. I mean, but if there's people in their community who are willing to work with them in rehabilitation of these tendencies and and they can go to therapy and rewire their brains to not harm, I think anyone can change for the most part. Shauna Potter is the front woman of this band you're hearing called War on Women, an author of a book called Making Spaces Safer. She advocates for transformative justice, for holding abusers accountable. The country's too big. You could easily find a town where nobody knows you and, and keep engaging in that bad behavior. And so sometimes, as friends and bandmates, we actually have to hold the people we're embarrassed about now, 
hold them close. And the best thing you can do as their friend is get them the help they need so that bad behavior stops and you prevent any future victims. Potter holds safe space trainings at music festivals and venues across the country. She helps them draft clear codes of conduct and train staff to spot harassment, to have a plan in place and communicate and act if harassment or abuse happens. It isn't just blocking off an area for women, like what Burger Records had in mind when they thought of safe spaces which Sean said would take the fun out of rock and roll. You have a big festival and you have a spot sectioned off as a safe space for people. It's like, that's going to be the least fun part of the entire festival. I guarantee you. Who gets to have fun when someone's being called the N-word? When someone's being groped? When someone's being roofied? When someone's being followed? When someone's being intimidated? Who's having fun? Shauna says the music industry is at an impasse, where if abuse happens, women are either silenced or men are canceled. There needs to be room for growth and change. There's no in-between. There's no, hey, let's sit down and talk about some stuff that you've done lately that, that is making us uncomfortable. Let's get you into therapy. How do, we, how do we get you to respect people's boundaries? How do we get you to change so that no more harm is caused? There are no conversations like that going on. And so all you have is either... Uh, it's an open secret, no one does anything about it, everyone stays quiet, or everything is canceled. But Jen of Bleached says there is value in the call-out culture that's been happening online, or else... No one ever gets called out because there's no, like, HR, you know, so it's like you can't report what happened to you, and then that person can't get fired. There are so many players in the music industry, from the label to management to fans to promoters to band members to venues, and those players aren't working together. And as Jen points out, there's not one person to go to when something goes wrong. Before cancel culture, Jen says female musicians used to have this whisper network with each other, and they'd let each other know if someone in the music scene was accused of being a creep or a rapist. And those bands or artists would end up silently being taken off of bills or shows. Finally, I'm seeing these women take their stories to social media. That's that's the HR, <laughs> is Instagram. And you're like, they're posting it and saying, this is what happened to me. And I think it's Awesome. Kennedy, who was pursued by Zoe of No Parents starting at the age of 16, tried a few times to hold Zoe accountable. The first time was in 2017 when she was 20 years old. She tried calling him out the old-fashioned way, in person. And I was literally driving him and at a red light, I was in the driver's seat and I like looked over at him and I was like, you know, you've never said sorry. Like I was begging for him to apologize. He didn't apologize in 2017. Then in May, before all the accusations around Burger Records blew up online, Kennedy wrote Zoe a letter looking for closure. His girlfriend found it and he like, he like ripped it up and threw it away and like didn't provide me like any response, like there was no conversation. But it wasn't until July when men associated with Burger Records started getting called out in droves did Zoe finally respond. I was sitting down to eat my dinner and I received his text and I completely lost my appetite. And I was like, I am sick of him having this control over me. I'm done. It was at this point that she told her story about Zoe on Instagram. Jen followed, prompting more people to come forward online and say, me too. 
And it's just really heartbreaking to hear all of these similar stories from girls that I like made eye contact with in the pit of these places that we felt so safe and like so cool and like accepted and like could be our full selves. We were all abused by the same men. The curtain eventually closed on the so-called character Zoe played in his music and in his life. The day after Burger Records folded in July, no parents announced they would disband. They also apologized to Kennedy publicly and wrote in a since-deleted post that said, We were and are part of a culture that enables abusive behavior. And Zoe acted on his personal apology to Kennedy. Right after I came out about him, he offered to pay for my therapy and did. He paid for like a month of my therapy. He is not... He is not denying any of this happened. Kennedy says it wasn't until she was in her 20s did she realize the power dynamic between a young fan and an older man in a band. When I was 17, 18, even 19, I was so emotionally unintelligent and such a mess that I was in a position to be completely puppeteered by a man of 23, 24, 25. I was way too young. And they had a platform up on that stage and women and girls my age all looked up to them. And it's just disgusting. Since the folding of Burger Records, both Jen and Kennedy had decided to make a conscious effort to work mostly with women in the music industry. Kennedy says her band will soon be all female. My entire experience of the music scene has just been me being a prey. and. That is not who I am, and it's not who any of these other women are. Like, these women that are coming out about their experiences of abuse are the most fucking kick-ass people on the planet, and I want us to take over the scene, and I feel like I have a clear vision of that being a possibility. Fixing the issue of sexual abuse in the music industry won't happen overnight. It's been happening for decades. But Burger Records has become the first label to completely fold because of this abuse. At the end of the day, it took Burger Records 13 years to build and about four days to take down. This is Sound and Vision. Special thanks to Kristen Lepore of KCRW's independent producer project for editing the story. And this story was a complicated one. It took seven weeks of reporting, 15 interviews, and six different drafts or edits. And not everyone I interviewed will make it to this podcast. But I do want to wrap up and share some insights about what other labels are doing to prevent sexual assault in the first place. So while Burger Records seems to be the only label to completely fold because of sexual misconduct and abuse, other labels this summer have had to drop artists because of sexual assault or misconduct allegations. So the week after Burger folded, Seattle Sub Pop had to drop an artist because a former bandmate accused him of rape. 
Then a month before Burger Records folded, the Minneapolis hip-hop label Rhyme Sayers dropped two acts off the label, citing toxic masculinity and reports of abuse. And Rhyme Sayers has since issued a statement saying it will vet artists on the label and challenge the intention behind questionable content, among other changes. Think about maybe thinking about some of those lyrics that were questionable or things like that, talking to artists, you know, before you sign them. And Burger Records and the Me Too movement have prompted other labels to create codes of conduct to prevent sexual assault cases in the first place. One of those labels is Mint Records in Vancouver, B.C., whose roster includes the new pornographers. Like right now in the wake of Burger and like in Canada, there's like some labels being called out as well. I think that like there's this demand that we have codes of conduct like ready to go. That's Adrienne LaBelle. She's project coordinator at Mint Records and she's been working for nearly a year now on creating a code of conduct with the goal of keeping artists and the label accountable. Really what we're doing is like testing, trying to like researching, trying to like come up with as many like what ifs as possible so that we can answer what we're going to do if this should happen and like how we as a label are going to react, what we're responsible for, what we're not responsible for, and also providing resources. Mint Records has been putting out surveys and working with lawyers to help inform that code of conduct. And that code of conduct will then be shared with other labels to use. And a similar project is happening here in the States. Cody Fitzgerald is a founding member of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. He says the union has just kicked off research and surveys to create a document that lists the actions, policies, and practices of as many labels as they can, so artists can see which labels align with their values and which ones you might want to stay away from. Something we've been talking about um, within the Label Relations Committee is kind of uh, building out a, we've called it a seal of approval, a list of conduct not just you know within the culture of the label but also within like what their contracts are look like what their diversity practices are things like that that we think labels should be doing and should be doing to remain artist friendly and uh, we've our idea is to basically have that list available talk to artists on the labels talk to label employees and get a sense for what is actually going on at the labels and then democratize that information so that any musician who's trying to sign to any label can have that information at their fingertips and we can call out any practices that are not okay. (laughs) And this is new territory for most in the music industry in the wake of the Me Too movement, cancel and call out culture. Meanwhile, if you want to learn what venues can do to prevent sexual assault and harassment, check out the previous episode of Sound and Vision. And we aren't done with this subject. On the next episode of this podcast, we will hear from music journalist Jessica Hopper about the prevalence of sexual assault in the music industry and how that goes back decades. Historically within music for male artists, particularly women's bodies, particularly young women's bodies, have been seen as their right that it is a reward for playing a good show, et cetera, that it is, it is part of what power can get you in these spaces, which is access to women. That's on the next Sound and Vision.
And before we go, I need to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast took a ton of work, and I would love for more people to hear it. You can spread the word about Sound and Vision by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. Doing that actually makes this podcast more visible on podcast sites so more people can find out about it. And it only takes a minute of your time, and it really does go a long way. And if you like what you heard on the show today and want to go the extra mile, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation at kexp.com org slash sound. Thanks so much for listening.